Amen. Let's stand this morning. Give God praise again for all these that are baptized today. Amen. You know, one of the, there's all kinds of things that just kind of sticks with you, but one thing I never will forget is, is when Mike uh, was baptized here and he said, welcome to my funeral. Uh, and that is the depiction that we, you know, not only did Christ die for us, but we died with him. And uh, the Bible says that we died in him. We were buried with him. And therefore, we're also raised with him. And that's what water baptism is today. It's that public acknowledging outwardly that that God has done through his son inwardly. Amen? Praise God. Look over somebody and say welcome to Grace Point this morning. Just smile at them. Shake their hand. Introduce yourself to them if you don't know their name. Amen? Amen. Today, the title is God Good, Devil Bad. Now, I know you've heard me say that before, but I've never used it as a title. This is the first time. And uh, I didn't tell them what to sing today on the worship songs, but all the songs were about the goodness of God and declared that God is good. Psalm 103, if you have your Bible, read with us. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. And... Uh, really want to highlight on two of those five verses, but let's just read this. This is a psalm of David, and David writes in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, how many knows that David is talking out and speaking out, but he is speaking to himself. He's talking to his soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And so David says in verse 2 again, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I want you to notice how many times the word all appears. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Now, verse 2 and 3 again, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all, really. The language here is Hebrew, and so the word all means all. I just want to see if you're listening. It means all in English. Or any other language, it means all your iniquities who heals some of your diseases. One every now and then. Kind of like hitting a lottery. You might win it, you might not. Really? It says that in your Bible. So you believe that the Lord heals all your diseases then? Because that's what it says, right? You, You really believe he forgives all your sin, all your iniquities? Or just some of them? Or just the ones you talk to him about? Or just the ones you think he knows about? Or just the ones you ask him to forgive you for? See see that right there? All your iniquities, all your diseases. That's the God we serve. And what David is doing here, now listen, David is commanding his emotions to line up with who God is. He's commanding his emotions to line up with who God is. I I know you're standing. Hang on. And then this is what David is doing. David is reminding or saying to himself, forget not all of his benefits. Now, why is David saying don't forget his benefits? Because you're going to have plenty of opportunities to forget his benefits. Because the difference between the absolutes of God and what God's word says and sometimes what you and I experience is two different things. And that space in between is what's called faith. It's called trust. The very fact that you use the word and I use the word trust means that you don't have all the answers. How many ever told your kids no on something and they go, why? You knew if you explained it to them, they wouldn't understand it anyway. So you just say, you're going to have to just trust me on this. Right? You're just going to have to trust me on this. 
they want to do something. They want to play with the butcher knife, and they're two. And they don't understand why they can't, but you say, no, you're going to have to just trust me because you're doing what's best for them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. Thank you, Lord, that your word declares that you are good, not sometimes, but all the time. And, Father, we thank you. We've sung it. We declared it. Your word says it. Father, help our hearts to come in agreement and let us never forget all your benefits. We ask that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This is uh, an area of Scripture, even though it's in the Old Covenant, that David makes some absolutes statements here he is this is the word of God and how many knows in the Bible there are absolutes all throughout the Bible uh, like the ones that David is stating here like God forgives all your your iniquities or sin most people will readily accept that one they'll go yes amen we believe that but when you read the next one the absolute that David states and heals how many of your diseases? And yet you may be sitting here and you have a disease. So here comes the problem, right? So we read in the word of God absolutes that God heals all of our iniquities, all of our sins, same, me, same thing. And he heals all of our diseases. And uh, those are absolutes. They're unchangeable. They're irrefutable. They're the word of God. And then there's another one, God is good, and he's good all the time. We talked about it last Sunday. Uh, we talk often here about the goodness of God, right? So God is good, and he's good all the time. You believe that? Now, it's easy to say amen to that when everything's going well. But it says God is good, and then, I don't know, 25 years ago probably or longer, I really just embraced a simple theology, God good, devil bad. I've been preaching it for decades. God good, devil bad. And it, it would save us so much problems in our life if we just believed that. It's going to get real quiet here on a couple of things, I can tell you. God good, devil Okay, we just keep doing it until y'all decide to participate. God, devil, cancer, really? So it's not from God then. Yet there are whole groups of Christians, whole belief systems that say that God gives cancer sometimes to teach people a lesson or to make them a better person. There's actually a blasphemous teaching in real popular in the American church that, that God uses evil to make us better. Can you imagine? If God uses evil to make us better, then we should be worshiping Satan instead of Jesus because he's the personification of evil. We could just really be really good with all the evil that could come our way. Some of you are thinking now, well, you know, God doesn't do it, but he allows it. Same thing. Why don't you tell the Department of Family Children's Services that you didn't actually, you know, put your hand, your child's hand on the hot stove, but you just allowed them to do it because you wanted them to learn that that's not the thing to do. They're going to lock you up either way. Whether you put their hand on the stove or you allowed the child to do it and bring harm or hurt, it's still a crime. And yet we accuse God of the same thing or worse. See, what happens is that we see these absolutes in the Bible and it declares God is good. He heals all of our uh, diseases. He forgives all of our iniquities. And yet then we have the problem. The problem is we pray for someone, someone we love. And they die they don't receive their healing and then you look back at the 
passage we just read, and it said, I, I thought it said that he heals all our diseases, yet I have this problem. I have this problem with my kidneys, or I have this problem with my liver, wh whatever it is. And so right in that tension between the absolute that's in the Word of God, that, that absolute I'm talking about is depicting and declaring the nature of God, of who He is, yet what we experience or what we receive we don't really see it. Can you hand me my water? So we 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 see uh, we we see the problem. So then, what happens, especially in the American church, is we form another gospel. So because that our experience doesn't line up with the absolute, then we sacrifice that absolute of God on the altar of human reasoning. Right. So we come up with another gospel because we have to somehow explain why the person we prayed for died and didn't get their healing when the Bible says he heals all our diseases. So then we come up and we say, well, somehow we don't understand it. It was just the Lord's will. And we come up with crazy doctrines that are not biblical at all. We come up with stuff like that it's always God's will for people to die when they die. We don't understand it. We're not to question it. We're just to take it as the will of the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a little kid or if it's an older adult. We say, well, it was, you know, somehow it was just their time. And then you get people that do what I do and they make stupid statements like God decided to, he needed another angel. Even when you die, you'll never be an angel. You're a higher class being than an angel. The Bible says that we will judge angels. So we're a higher class being. We're not, you'll never be an angel in any world. But if God did need another angel, he would just breathe one out. He'd create one, just like he created all the myriads and myriads of angels that he has. The thought or the teaching that God would reach and take a little kid from his parents because he needed them in heaven and leave them brokenhearted and wounded and hurt and is blasphemous. To attribute to God the work of the devil is blasphemous. God good. Devil, bad. And you got to get that straight so you don't ever become confused on what's going on. Buried my dad right after Thanksgiving. I watched the disease just rip his life apart for five years called Lewy body dementia. I'd never heard of it. I heard of Alzheimer's but never Lewy body dementia. It's the same dementia that Robin Williams, the comedian, had. It's the same dementia that Ted Turner has publicly said that he is struggling with and many others. And, and any kind of dementia is horrible, but this just really wrecked and wreaked havoc in my dad's life to the point that he wouldn't know where he was or what was real and what was not real. And over a five-year period, we watched that just wreck and ruin his life and take his mind from him. And it would almost have been more merciful if it would just take it from him totally and just leave him that way, but he would have good days and days that were not good at all. And then some days that he would be good, he would remember the things that he did that wasn't good. It was just a horrible disease. And to think that God would put that on my dad. I mean, I, I used to have a messed up, really, view of God. And I'm, by the way, I'm still learning, okay? But I used to see people suffering, and I would have thoughts like this because that's what the church taught me. Well, they're paying for their sins. That, too, is blasphemous. The thought that you and I could shed blood or suffer and our, and our suffering would pay for even one of our sins. Because if you and I could even pay for one sin, 
by something that we've done, by, by suffering, by some sacrifice, by some, something we say, if we could pay for our sin, then Jesus would not have had to come. You can suffer consequences for bad decisions, right? Totally different. You can make a bad decision, and you can do something that's wrong and or sinful, and you can suffer because of your decision. But don't confuse that with God, and he's not the author of it, nor does he will that pain upon you, nor are you paying for your sin. You may be paying for your bad choices, Example, quick. I know I get worn, you know worn out with this, but if you if you make a bad decision to steal money from someone like the bank, and you walk in there with a Glock nine and you steal their money, that's a bad decision. How many would also agree that's sin? Really, you agree that stealing is sin? Okay, they're going to lock you up. You're probably going to spend a lot of years in prison for that. Did God do that to you? Are you paying for your sin? I'm going to have to have a drink on that one. I thought we just went over this. Are you paying for your sin? No. Who paid for your sin? Jesus. What are you doing then? You're suffering consequences of a bad decision. But it's not God. Now, if you go to that prison, and in that prison you have time to read and study and think... And you surrender your life to the Lord. Was God somehow behind all that? Did God in his providence cause you to rob the bank? No. Yet we get these kind of testimonies. What I understand is somehow I know the Lord, you know, kind of led me into addiction. And that way, you know, now I can help people. No. I had a pastor one time, many, many years ago that uh, slept with someone that was not his wife while he was pastoring. Uh, caused a lot of problems, as you can imagine. I agreed to do counseling with him and his wife that decided after a few weeks that she would try to, you know, save the marriage, give it a chance. So I drove to their city where they were pastoring because he was under my charge and I had been, I had known this couple for many years. I had helped them start the church. I'd helped them build the church they were in. And, uh, and I remember sitting in, in the office of another pastor. We were using his church to do the counseling. And as they pulled in, I could look out of the window and see where they were parking. And as they got out, they got out and they joined hands and held hands as they walked into the church to come into marriage counseling. When they came in, they, they sat right by each other on a sofa and they held hands the whole time. I'd never seen them do that. Their marriage was that looking like it was better than it was before. Now, I had time that I counseled with both of them, and I had times where I counseled and, and spoke with just the pastor, just he and I. In one of those conversations, he said this to me, that he didn't understand all of it, but somehow that God was in, in, in all of it because his marriage was better than it had ever been. So God caused him to have an affair. And God was behind him sleeping with this other woman. God wanted him to hang his britches on the bedpost and make out with this other woman because God wanted to make his marriage better. You believe that, right? How many women believe that in here? Okay. How many men believe? No, no. Wouldn't you call that kind of messed up theology? And this is a preacher talking to me. Regardless of what the outcome is, God wasn't behind it if it brought pain, hurt, or trauma. The Bible says, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. He said, but the enemy come, the thief cometh, but to steal, kill, destroy. Listen, this is not hard. This is real deep theology, I know. But anything that steals, kills, or destroys anything is from the devil. It says that in the Bible. Does cancer steal? 
Does it take away moms from children, wives from husbands, and husbands from Sure it does. That's not from God. They might get saved during the process. They may be, you know, whatever. But God didn't send that. God didn't send cancer because he can't give you cancer because he don't have cancer, and God can't give you what he don't have. God did give you what he had, and that's his only son. And that's Jesus come to give life, not take it. And he told his disciples that all the time. One time they went to a city trying to prepare for Jesus coming to preach it, and the city rejected him. And John the Baptist, the, 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 the beloved disciple, he's standing at the city limit sign, and Jesus said, why aren't you all already in it? They said, they told us, well, you know, they don't want to hear you. They don't want us to come here. And, and then John says, this is the one that got the revelation of the love of God now. He said, shall we just burn this place down? Can't we just call fire down? And just burn, let's just, let's show them, turn them all into charcoal briquettes. That'll show them. Jesus is like, whoa, man, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're in. He said, I came to give life, to save life, not take it. (laughs) It's like, John, aren't we glad that you and I are not God? Because there'd be some people in some places we'd have burned down too. Right? You know, in that moment when you're upset. But guys, it, I, I know that some of you know this, but there's so many people that don't know this. And uh, there's two places in Scripture that kind of give us a hint of what's going on here and helps us maybe try to consider why we run into these problems with church theology. One of them's in Mark chapter 8, and verse 22. Mark 8 and 22 it says here that he came, talking about Jesus, to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Now, why do they want Jesus to touch this blind man? What, what's the purpose behind him touching him? Huh? They want his eyes to be open, right? So they bring the blind man to Jesus for him to touch him. That means we could say to heal him, right? So he took the blind man by the hand, Jesus did, he took the blind man by the hand and led him where? Out of town. Why lead him out of town? You've got to get him away from all the people that don't believe that healing is for today. You've got to get him out of that area where he's so familiar with all of that. You've got to get him out of that area. And then it says this, and when he had spit on his eyes... Now, if you came up here this morning and you were having a problem with your vision and you asked me to pray for you, and I went into your eyes, would I not have scripture for it? Anybody got any eye problems here this morning want me to pray? Got Bible for it. Come on now. Now, it'd be great. In other words, nobody would say anything if there was a blind person here and they, and they came up for prayer and I spit in their eyes and they, they, they saw even the blind person would be like, that's a little weird, but hey, I can see, I'm, you know, I'll take it, right? We've done a lot more for a lot less. But Jesus spit on his eyes and he put his hands on him. And then Jesus asked him a question. Now, apparently when Jesus did this, there's some some reason why he does this. And he asked him if he saw anything. So in other words, you've got a blind man coming up. He's never saw anything. Jesus spits in his face, spits in his eyes, and and, and puts his hand on him. We assume maybe he said something. The purpose of this is for healing. And then Jesus is evaluating what he received. He says, do you see anything? He looked up, and he said, I see men like trees walking. Now, is that the way you're supposed to see people, like trees walking? No. So what's the problem? He didn't, he didn't receive it all. Now, he's better off than he was before this happened because he couldn't see anything. Now he can see something, but he's not seeing like he should see, right? And so... He said, I see trees walking. So Jesus, in response to that, 
he puts his hands on his eyes. What does it say? Again. Now, a lot of people teach that Jesus had to pray twice here. And they put the problem on Jesus, which is a mistake. The problem is never with God. You do know Jesus was God in the flesh, right? So the problem is never on God's end, and the problem is never because of God not giving. The problem is always on our end of not receiving. There's nothing wrong with the transmitter. There's something wrong with the receivers. So he put his hands on him again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone how. And that's what Jesus wanted. Okay? So what I'm trying to get you to see here is that there was a process here. Now, there are people who goes around and make stupid statements like, well, if God's healed somebody, I mean, it would be 100% complete and permanent. And that's a lie. Nowhere does it ever say that in the Bible. And right here I'm showing you where there was a progressive receiving of the grace of God. There was a, there was a progression. He was better, still not there. But the problem was never on God's end. It was on this man's heel. All right, let me go to this. Why spit on the guy? In our culture, that makes no sense to us. Do you remember when Jesus was carrying his cross down the Via Della Rosa to, the, to Calvary? And the Bible said that they, many of them spit on him. Right? Remember that? It's coming up Easter. Y'all remember that. It's going, you know, it comes around again. They spit on him. Why, why were they spitting on Jesus when he came by? Because that's a Jewish culture thing. To spit. I don't mean that offense. I'm just saying they understood what they were doing. In the Old Testament, there are verses that say this. Under, under the Old Testament, it talks about people being spit upon. And, and this is what they are doing. It says that they perceive them to be cursed by God. So in other words, the reason they spit on Jesus is they were literally saying, based on the, those verses, that we agree with God. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. You're cursed by God. We agree with God. And that's literally what they were doing. They were saying, we agree with God. You're cursed. And they spit. And that's what that spit means, that they are agreeing with God that you are cursed by God. It's like them saying, amen, God. For some reason, you're cursed. People don't even understand that. Why would Jesus use that? Because all imagine the hundreds and hundreds of times possibly that this blind man had been spit on by religious people. That's all he'd ever known is the feel of spit hitting him maybe as he begged or went out in some area and he would be spit upon and by that they were saying we just agree with God. God's judgment's true. You're cursed by God. We agree with God. We don't know what you did, but we're cursed. But you know, you're cursed by God. Remember when they one, one guy they said disciples to Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, no. A lot of translation it says neither, but the actual Greek word there is no. Jesus is saying, no, you're not going to carry me there. You're not going to drag me into some religious discussion where I can't win. It's like me, I told you, walking up to somebody and say, uh, hey, sir, uh, have you stopped beating your wife yet? It's an unfair question. Because what if he says yes? That means he used to beat her. What if he says no? Let's call the popo on the brother because he's still whooping on her. You know what I'm saying? He's guilty either way. So listen so when you go through stuff or something doesn't happen like you want it and you say, God, why did you let this happen? Same thing. You go, you've already tried God and you got him guilty. And he's not going to win. God never answers the why questions because they're victim questions. Are you with me? So, so Jesus says no. He says, but this is for the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is saying to them in that moment, they said, who sinned? His parents are him that he was born blind. Jesus said, no. He said, this is for the glory of God. All, all he's saying is when you've got a problem, you can't explain it. All you've got to look for is how can, this, how can glory come out of this? 
How can glory for God come out of this? And the only way glory can come out of that was that kid got his, uh, I mean, the man got his uh, eyes back. And so Jesus healed him. Can you take one more? Mark 9. In Mark 9, Jesus and, and uh, Peter, James, and John are growing up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Y'all remember that? All right, so they're up there all night. They're coming down early in the morning. They come down from the mountain. And so how many disciples do we have in total? This is not hard. I'm just trying to see if y'all paying attention. Twelve, okay? Twelve minus three leaves how many? Nine. So we got nine disciples that didn't go up there with Peter, James, and John and see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus and all that. But So we got nine disciples still take care of business down below. And, and, and listen, lest you forget this, these disciples have healed, they've raised the dead. I mean, they're doing the stuff. They're the best, highest trained people on the planet at this moment. So we got a father who loves his son who is demonized. This spirit, this devil, it says in the scriptures, tries to throw him into the fire to kill him, tries to throw him into the water to drown him. Anybody know what's in there? I'm just trying to speed it up so we don't have to read all the verses. So it says oftentimes his daddy says this is what's happened to him, and, 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 and so he, he brings his son to, to the disciples who are the best, you know, chance possible ability of his son being delivered. And that's all he cares about. You, you understand that a dad like that don't really care what the name of your church is? Do, do you know all they want is just his son healed? They don't care if it's Baptist, Methodist, Nazarene, Tangerine, Assembly of God, Church of God, four square, three square, round square, no square. I mean, they don't care. They just want it to work. So they bring, he brings his to the disciples. Uh, they pray their best prayer, and nothing happens. Now, Jesus and, and the other three guys are walking up, and, and there's a crowd, and, 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 and these folks that wasn't kind of like church day. We pray and don't expect nothing to happen, and, 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 and it's no problem. When they prayed and they said that something would happen, but they prayed and nothing happened, then uh, folks start picking up rocks. You go into Muslim nations, some of these folks have told me. I heard one guy said he, they was preaching and talking about Jesus does this and Jesus does that. Well, they brought a dead body into the, in, in the Muslim nation where they was preaching, and they brought a dead body in, and they told the speaker, raise him from the dead or we kill you. Kind of brings a whole different level to your preaching. So Jesus walks up, and everybody quits arguing. Jesus says to them, what were y'all speaking about? In other words, what were y'all fussing at my disciples about? The, the, nobody says anything but the dad, because why? He cares the most. And, and he speaks up and says, I brought my son to your disciples that they might deliver him, but they could not. And listen to this now. Don't miss this. Jesus says this, if you can do anything, help us. Jesus said, no, you're not putting it off on me. That's the way the church does today. It's all on the Lord. Sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. Sometimes he do, sometimes he don't. It's like the lottery I said, you don't know. You just throw the dice, hope you hit the number. You just try. You pray, nobody gets healed. You pray, you still got the problem. Then somehow you know you come up and you, you sacrifice that absolute about God that heals all your diseases, forgives all your iniquities on the altar of human reasoning. And you invent a religion, a theology, to try to make you feel better by the lack of results. And you call it American church. And you, you actually attack the very nature and the character of God, which is blasphemous. And some people are doing that. I realize it. They don't even know it because they've grown up and heard that preached and taught all the time. So Jesus says, no, it's not about if I want to help you. It's if you can believe all things are possible to them that believe. So Jesus, again, is saying the problem is not with the transmitter, it's the receiver. But if you can believe, and, and then this is what the dad says, and I love this. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's like, I believe, but if there's any unbelief in here, man, help, that, help me out with that too. And, 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 and I love that. And, and Jesus says this. Wait a minute. 
I didn't forget what he said. I just want to pause the video. Okay, here we are. Fast forward 2019, American church. Dad brings the kid to someone that we all perceive to be the most anointed, the greatest person on the planet, okay? And they pray their best prayer. Nothing happens. They pray again. They pray over weeks, months maybe. Nothing happens. What would be the conclusion of the church based on what they see? The average Christian would say, we don't understand it. We can't explain it. It's God's will. It's just not God's will to heal that kid. Then we come up with real stupid stuff like, well, maybe the Lord's allowing that because he's trying to teach them something. Or maybe they've committed some diabolical secret sin and, you know, got some voodoo going on at their house. And so, you know, they're paying for their sin. Maybe that's why. So this is the scene we have. So Jesus, disciples have prayed. Let's just say there's no Jesus there. Disciples prayed. There's no healing. Jesus doesn't come walking up, and the dad carries the kid back home still demonized. Those around in the church world will say somehow it's God's will. But Jesus says, bring the child to me. And now we all know the story, right? Jesus said, bring the child to me. He actually says, you're a faithless and unbelieving generation. Bring the child to me. And Jesus delivers the child. Right? So obviously it was God's will for him to be healed. Right? But it, it didn't happen with those guys. Now, after that meeting, they're kind of publicly kind of, you know, bothered by their lack of ability to, to get God's will accomplished. Guys, we don't understand anything really about real spiritual warfare. <laughs> I mean, we, it's another subject, but we really don't. We, we think it's marching and we, we just, anyway, I ain't got time to get in that. Later on, they're by themselves. They come to Jesus privately and say, why couldn't we cast that demon out of that kid? We've done stuff before. Why, why, why not? Why, why didn't it work? Jesus replied and said, this kind so that means there's different kinds. They had run up on a different kind than they had ever run up on before. And Jesus said, this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. But Jesus neither prayed nor fasted. Now, you know what we do in the American church? We wait till there's a crisis and we call everybody to prayer and fasting. Which means you wait till you're central heat and an air conditioner blows up your house and then you try to come up with the money to pay for it. It's really tough to do it that way. It's better to have some money set aside because you know it's mechanical and one day it's going to run out and die. And that way when that does happen, then you can just put another one in the same day and stay cool or hot, whatever you need to do. Right? So what I'm saying is Jesus had a relationship with his father and he trusted the grace of God and the, and the faith of God and the power of God and the goodness of God so when he was confronted with the crisis he didn't question it when you and I are confronted with problems we've got so many hurdles to jump over we can't even believe God there's a big chunk of folks don't even know if it's God's will or not Lord I just pray you would heal this person if it be thy will but Lord if it's not just kill them quickly so they won't suffer no, they don't, they don't pray that last prayer, but that's what they're praying. You ever had somebody pray for you like that? Lord, I just pray if it's your will, you would heal this person. Not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. You knowest everythingest, because you're thouest. I don't want you praying for my kids or my grandbabies if you don't even know what God's will is. Why did Jesus raise anybody from the dead if it's always God's will when people die? If it's always his plan and timing for people to die, why did Jesus raise anybody from the dead when he walked the earth? Because you said that if they die, not to question, it's God's will. That's what you say you believe. And then here comes Jesus, and he raises them from the dead and gives them back. So 
here is Jesus working in opposition against the will of his Father. God does not have a divided heart when it comes to truth. He doesn't. God's the same. Now, listen to this. Not all truth is created equal. There are some things that are more true than other things. What what do you mean? (laughs) For example, there's the Old Covenant and there's the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the primary revelation of the Old Covenant is the power of sin. For example, in the Old Covenant, listen, lepers, lepers were... Uh, it's a term, leprosy terminal disease. And in the Old Covenant, they were told, do not touch a leper. And in fact, there were laws placed on them, biblical laws, if you will. Listen, so if you was a leper, you had to dress as a leper. You were commanded if you were passing on the road and you were meeting someone, you had to cover your mouth and nose with a cloth and you had to say at least three times, unclean unclean, unclean. And that person would know then you're a leper and they would steer away from you because in the old covenant they were told do not touch a leper lest you become leprous. Now why are you talking to us about leprosy? Because this is how we do sinners. We treat sinners today like they treated lepers in the Bible. Make them live with their own kind. Make them confess their sin. And stay away from church, folk. In the old covenant, you couldn't touch a leper. You would get leprosy. Here comes Jesus, new covenant. Changed everything. Jesus touches lepers, and he doesn't get leprosy. They get clean. Jesus touches them. They don't get, he doesn't get what they have. They get what he has. It's a totally different covenant. I'm having to go so fast with this, but the point is this. If you've gotten your revelation about God from Job, and you've read the book of Job and the suffering of Job, and you're identifying with that, and you somehow are, that is your revelation of God is out of the book of Job. You have an inferior revelation. There, there, there is a better revelation that has been given to us, and his name is Jesus. And Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, was him depicting and revealing and unveiling the heart of the Father. In fact, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He's identical to me. Right? Jesus is not different than the Father. The Father is not different than Jesus. The clearest revelation of God then is seen in Jesus. Is that right? So I'm not saying that what's in the book of Job is, is wrong. or what. I think that some of the translation there in English from the Hebrew is, is a little messed up. But the point is this. I'm not a follower of Job. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so my view of God does not come from the book of Job. My view of God comes from Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Jesus is the revelation of the grace of God. Jesus is the revelation of the goodness of God. So so Jesus is preaching one day. And this is, I think, in Luke 5. and He's preaching, and nonetheless, uh, people start tearing the roof off of the house that he's preaching in. The house is crowded, packed with people. And they tear the roof off, and it's got to be a good-sized hole because they lower a man in on a cot. Remember that? So they lower the man in. So when the tiles start falling in and tearing off, Jesus has to stop preaching. Right? And they lower this paralyzed man in. Now, why did these guys bring this man to Jesus? What was the purpose? Did they just want him to hear good preaching, or they want him to get outside, fresh air? No, they brought him to Jesus for the express purpose of being healed of his paralysis, right? So they lower him in. This kind of disrupts the meeting. 
Now, there's religious folks in there. The Bible says Pharisees and scribes, they're all in there. And so Jesus looks at the guy, the guy on the cot. And you can read it in your Bible. This is exactly what he says. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I'm kind of ending where we started. Psalm 103, who forgives all. How many of your iniquities? Now, see, there's probably not any of us in here, I wouldn't think. Maybe. I wouldn't think. I have run into it in preaching for 34 years now. In other words, there's probably not any of us in here that would would doubt that God would forgive all our sin. Now, there would be a debate on when that happens and how that happens. But I ain't got time to own that can today. But you, in other words, you would believe, you know, he forgives everything, right? Now, I have run into people that I've been in altars, especially when I evangelize, I run into it. Uh, it seemed like more there. But I would have people come and they would be praying and, and they're, they're trying to get God to do what he's already done and that's forgive them. But th- they don't know that, so they're trying to get him to do it. And they don't know that the only thing that causes God to forgive is not their tears and their crying and their confessing, it's the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the, the blood's already been shed and that was 2,000 years ago. But they don't believe that because they don't know the good news. They've never heard the good news. So they're trying to earn their forgiveness, get God to, you know, convince God to forgive. But they say statements like this to me. I, you don't know what I've done, Brother Dale. God can't forgive me of what I've done. I remember I had a, I had a guy tell me that one time, and I'd done heard that a couple times before, so I was kind of getting a little weary of it. So this is what I looked at the guy and said. You know, because the old put your arm around them, you know, pat them, bless your heart thing, that don't work. Because all you're doing is co-laboring with their ignorance. And I don't mean that offense. I'm just saying. So I looked at this guy. I said, look at me. Look at me. And I, and I looked at him. We went all so we wasn't bothering nobody. But I, I did like this. I said, how dare you? And he was like, you know, he's like shocked. Dude, I'm talking to him like that. I'm like, I didn't yell or anything. I just said, how dare you? I just let that sink in and say, how dare you exalt your sin over the blood of Jesus? How dare you? So you're trying to say that your sin is stronger and more powerful than the blood of Jesus. That's blasphemy. How dare you idolize and worship and exalt your sin over the blood of Jesus and count his blood as insufficient. He said, well, I wasn't doing that. I said, that's exactly what you're doing. The Bible says, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Not just your little old sin. I said, you ain't even good at sinning. There's people in the Bible did far more sins what you did. And you up here is telling me you can't even be forgiven of this. Knock it off. That's religion. That's blasphemy. He said, okay. <laughs> Got to get it right. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. So there's things that are true. Sin is powerful, but grace is more powerful. Judgment is real, but mercy triumphs over judgment. (laughs) Come on now. And so, you you can't exalt what you've done. But most would say, I believe that he forgives all of our iniquities. And you would go, amen, I accept that. But when we go with the conjunction and we add in, who healed all your diseases, now is when we start choking. Wait a minute. Psalm 103, has is, is it ever bothered anybody in here besides me? Like, come on. And so we accept that, but we don't say, no, it's still an absolute. Okay, so back to the man. I'm almost done. They lower him in. Jesus looks at him, knowing that he come there to get healed of paralysis, and Jesus says this to him. This man, listen, listen to me, church. This man doesn't open his mouth, doesn't say a word. Jesus says, man, your, that's personal, your sins are, not will be, if you confess them, your sins are forgiven you. And the Bible says when the scribes and the Pharisees, when the church people heard that, 
they rejoiced with exceeding joy and lifted their hands and began to praise and magnify the Lord God for his forgiveness. It didn't say that, does it? It says, when the scribes and Pharisees heard it, they were offended and said, who is this that forgives sin? For only God forgives sin. Jesus, because that was God forgiving sin, because they didn't even know who's in their company. That is God. That's why he can, because it's God. And, and, and the reason he could do it, and you say, well, he hadn't even been to the cross and shed blood. That's what he's there for. It's just going to be a few uh, months before he's on the cross. I told you this, you ever carried your kids to the grocery store when they were hungry? And you put them in the little seat up front and hang their little legs out the buggy and you're pushing them through the grocery store? Bad mistake. Because they want to eat something on the first aisle. And, and I've kept, we've made a mistake carrying all three aisles when they were little. Really bad mistake. Because they're not going to shut up. And they're hungry and they want something to eat. So often what we would do is whatever we found on the first aisle, we would go ahead and give it to them. We'd tear off the barcode. Or just open the bag and let them eat everything in the bag. Just eat this and shut up. And we're walking through the grocery store and they are eating what we have not yet paid for. But nobody calls security on us. Because everybody knows that when you get to the checkout, you just hand them the empty bag and they scan the empty bag and everybody's happy. Because they know that you're on the premises, you're already enjoying the benefits, but before you leave, you're going to pay for that. When Jesus was standing on the planet, he was already on the premises. And we could go ahead and all those there could go ahead and start enjoying the full benefits. Before he left the planet, he was going to pay in full for everything they was going ahead and partaking of right then, which was that forgiveness of their sin. So he says, your sins are forgiven you. They got upset. Jesus said, looks at them and says, which is easier? Psalm 103, remember? Which is easier? Which is easier? For me to say to this paralyzed man, take up thy bed and walk, or for me to say to him, thy sins are forgiven. But he said, so that you will know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto you, take up thy bed and walk. And the man stood up and took his bed and he walked. Now, what I want you to see with this, what I want you to see with this, is Jesus said one of these is easier than the other one. That's literally what he's saying. He said, which is easier? Not for him. There's not one harder for him to give. No, no. Don't, don't get it messed up. But it's harder for us to receive. People ask me sometimes, why don't we see more healings? My answer is I'm surprised we hardly you know, hard, see any, hardly. Why? Because of the lack of the proclamation that they are forgiven and their sin is no longer an obstacle to God to release his grace of healing that he's already paid for. What, do, do you believe Jesus was just making up stuff or do you believe everything he said had a purpose and a reason? So when Jesus sees a paralyzed man and the first thing out of his mouth is not be healed and the first thing is, thy sins are forgiven you. Why say that? But I would say because that's what that man needed to hear. The most important thing that that man needed to hear was that his sins were already forgiven and that God's not angry with you, God's not mad with you, and your sins are not what's keeping you on that bed. It's your belief or unbelief, we could say. Are y'all getting this? What is it that's keeping so many bound in American church, in the world? It is so many people, listen, they think God's angry with them. They think God's mad with them. Some even dare to believe that God put that disease on them. Or they're just not sure. They're not convinced about the grace of God or the goodness of God. Therefore, they're confused, they're double-minded. And don't let anybody that's double-minded think they're going to receive anything. Because you can't listen to the two... FM stations simultaneously with one receiver. They're confused. They, they're back in two. They just don't know. 
So the most important thing that that man needed to get clear on in that moment was, son, your sins are not the problem. You're forgiven. The church, would they get mad about that today. They get mad when I preach it. Because they say, well, you got to confess your sins to be forgiven. That man didn't open his mouth. Kind of blows that teaching away, doesn't it? And you only got one verse in the whole New Testament that you even think that says that. That's another sermon. I got stuff wrote about it. You can, you can get it. Check it out. That's only, you, there, there's, there's 20 verses that say you're already forgiven. The one verse that says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He's talking to people that are sin deniers. Read it in context. He's talking to people that said, the next verse, they have no sin. If you have no sin, you can't receive forgiveness of sin because you don't have any. Therefore, if you'll confess that you actually are a sinner, that you have sin, God's faithful and just to forgive you of that because they already did it on the cross. That's all he's saying. But here, this man doesn't open his mouth. God says you're forgiven. Just, and you know what? Can I say this to you, ma'am, sir, your sins are forgiven you. And so any kind of problem, disease, lack, or insufficiency, or health problems, it's not because God wills that for you. And the greatest thing that's going to open you up to receive what God's freely given by his grace is for you to know that your sins are forgiven you. You say, well, I hadn't asked God to forgive me. God don't need your permission. God don't need your permission. I've had people hate my guts. Some still do. I don't enjoy it. But I have forgiven them. And even that would tick them off. And I don't mean that to kind of get them back, like get in their face and go, I just want you to know I forgive you. It's really like saying, I want you to know that you're really a dog and you don't deserve it, but I'm great and you're bad and I forgive you. No. I'm talking about in that private place with my heart towards God, and I say, Father, I forgive them. I forgive. I choose to forgive them. And, 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 and they would not even want me to forgive them, and it would actually aggravate them that I did forgive them, and they would say, well, I don't forgive you or I don't receive. Well, it don't matter, taterhead. I ain't got to get your permission to forgive your butt. I don't forgive you anyway. Take that. What God is saying in the new covenant, he says, I will remember their trespasses against them no more. This is the wonderful good news about this new covenant. And so God is saying, now listen to me, God is saying to the world, this is the Lamb of God. Did Jesus take away the sin of the world or not? So if he took away the sin of the world, then it's not an obstacle. I'm not saying people don't sin, and I'm not saying people don't suffer consequences. I'm just saying God is not trying to pay you back. God's already forgiven you of sin, and he's forgiven the world of sin, not just the church. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, not only the, our sins, but the sin of the entire world, it says. So listen, now this is my point. God's not mad with you. God's not angry with you. God doesn't hate you. God's not upset with you. And anybody that portrays that he is, 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 they're not in the new covenant. They're not in the new covenant. The prophet Isaiah said there is a new covenant, prophet Isaiah, that is coming. And he said, you know what God said? Is, that through the prophet Isaiah, he said, this is like the waters of Noah to me. He said, y'all remember when I told you and promised you and swore to you I'd never flood the whole earth with water again? He said, this is the same way. I'm putting it in that level. He said, now when this new covenant comes, I promise you this. I will never, ever be angry with you again, nor shall I ever remove my kindness from you again. So any preacher that portrays that God's mad and you're paying, they're lying. They may not be doing it intentionally, but they're lying. God's in a good mood. I talked to him this morning before I came. He told me to tell you he was in a good mood. He's in a real good mood. In fact, uh, yesterday he was in a good mood too. I don't know if you knew that. And even though it was raining this morning, he, he wasn't bummed out about it. He was like, I'm still in a good mood, son. Go tell them how good I am. What is an absolute? God's good. It's good all the time. I, I, I won't have time. I, maybe I can tag up on it next Sunday because I'm out of time. But one of the most awesome privileges that you and I have ever been granted is the ability to worship and praise God in the midst of contrary circumstances. And if the Lord allow me, I'll talk to you about that.
next Sunday. But I want you to stand with me. I'm a good preacher. I watch the clock. My wife had to go do some work or something. She said, now, if you preach long today, I'll be back, you know, before you finish. I said, ain't going to happen, baby. I said, you better go get some chicken somewhere else because around 12, we're going to be heading out. God loves you. God's not mad with you. The reason you're on that cot, that problem, is holding you down. It's not because of your sin that God's mad with you about it. You didn't have a little miscarriage and lose that little baby you were excited about because God was paying you back for your promiscuous life as a teenager. Boy, have I heard that one in my office so many times. There's somebody here that really happened to you and you've been tormented by that thought that God did that, allowed that to happen just to kind of pay you back. It's a lie. God's not a mafia guy. He's not the Godfather. He's God the Father. He doesn't kill people to get people's attention. He doesn't send floods and kill people and drown people and hurt people to make other people turn to him. He doesn't do that at all. Anything that steals, kills, or destroys is not from God. I don't care what the preacher on TV said. God didn't send Katrina to New Orleans because there's strip joints there. <laughs> God's not drowning, didn't drown people in Houston with a flood to make the rest of us in America turn to God. God didn't send planes to fly into the Twin Towers to kill a bunch of people to make us fill up the church the following Sunday. This is not heaven, and we are not home yet. God gave the earth to the sons of men. The heavens are his. But the earth has been placed in our charge. And evil men do evil things, and they hurt people. But it is not the will of our Father. For he said, it is not my will that any should perish none kind of blows away that teaching just that one verse not to perish from what from anything it's not my will so when people perish from disease or perish in death or perish in any way God said that's not my will it's never been my will and because death entered through sin I left home and came here to save you from that death I will give my life in your, your stead so that you will have my life and I will take your death. I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. I will take your anxiety and turmoil and I will give you my peace. I will take your guilt and your condemnation and I'll be spit upon and perceive that it is God's will for me to die. God never killed his son, but his son gave up his life for us. When you leave here today, it would serve all of us well to remember all of his benefits. Don't forget them. And when you're facing opposites of what it says in absolutes, know that it's not on God's end. And know that it's not his will. You suffer, and he don't want you to be without. And maybe if we just receive the truth of the goodness of the grace that your sins are forgiven, Maybe then that our heart would be more open to receive the healing that we need or the deliverance or the financial, whatever it is. What do you think? Maybe, huh? Yeah. When you know that God's not mad with you. And I'm not saying, you know, sin willy-nilly, sin like crazy. I get accused of that. I never said that. I don't advise sin. I've tried it a few times myself. It's really not profitable still hurts, but God's not doing it to me. Sin's got its own built-in problems, just of its own. It steals, it kills, it destroys. It's not God. Him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus.
it's a great exchange. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Uh, could I get my elders and some praise? I mean, <laughs> praise. Yeah, let's praise the prayer ministry team up, but my elders especially and their wives coming. It is our privilege every Sunday at Grace Point to say we're here for you. We're here to pray with you if you desire it. If you do not desire that, we'll just go eat. What restaurant are we going to today? No. But we'll just go eat quicker and sooner. That's all. But it is our privilege. We don't take it lightly. We just don't want you to ever leave this church and say, you know what? I wish someone had offered to pray with me. I sure could have really used some prayer today or just to speak to someone about what I'm it's our privilege to do that. We, we would love to do that. And uh, so I'm going to pray a quick prayer, and I'll dismiss the church. And, hey, if you want prayer while they're shaking hands and hugging necks and heading out, you come this way, and we're here for you, okay? And we'll stay as long as is uh, needed for you. We love you guys. Hey, if you're visiting today and you don't have a church, consider this one. I think it's a pretty good one. If I didn't like it, I'd send my family somewhere else, even if I preached here, you know. Some of y'all will get that today while you're eating your biscuit. All right. Father, thank you for your goodness. You're good all the time. Help us to never sacrifice your absolutes on the altar of human reasoning because we don't understand. I pray for every person here today, and especially for those that maybe don't know you and have not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. I pray they do that right now. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. We love you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, please come this way. We're, we're here to pray with you.